Okay, well this evening we're going to be looking at uh, what happens when we pray. And I don't know if you're wondering the same thing, but why look at the mechanics of a thing? We're going to be looking at how prayer works. But sometimes there's a, a sort of school of thought that says, just give us the practical. Just tell us what to do. That's, that's much, much uh, easier and much better. And it happens across all sorts of different things, uh, doesn't it? I remember when I was studying uh, languages and how to teach them, we discovered that there were different ideas about how to teach languages. And some of the ideas were just, you know, just teach them the pragmatics, just teach them the practical bits. So, you know, you could end up with uh, being able to go to a bar and ask for a beer, but you didn't know how to ask for two because that wasn't the one that you'd been told. Um, or you could tell how many rooms there were in your house, but not where you lived. Because you just had the, the practicalities, but not the rules that were behind them. Well, the theory actually lets us go further, doesn't it? The theory actually helps us in the practicalities as well. And the theory also checks what we're doing and that whether we're doing what we're supposed to do. I imagine actually most of us, in the way that we've learned to pray, have caught how we learn to pray. You know what I mean by that? You know, uh, catching it from the people uh, around us. And that's a really good thing to do. But how do we know that what we've caught is a good thing? You know, and go back a few years and everyone was catching these and thous and long words and several Bible verses had to be quoted while you prayed. And now we look back and go, oh, maybe they weren't so helpful. But how can we judge what is good and what isn't? Well, actually, we need the theory, don't we? So we're going to start with some very basic questions and some very basic uh, definitions this evening. The first is, what is prayer? We had all that list, didn't we, in that last song of prayer is this, prayer is that. Well, I'm going to give us a very, very simplistic uh, definition, and we're going to expand on it. But our simplistic definition is prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. That might sound incredibly obvious <laughs> to some of us, but it's surprisingly controversial. Prayer requires talking. I'm not limiting it here to just asking, which again in some schools of thought you get you just you, you know prayer is only ever asking. But it does require verbal communication. It does require speaking. It doesn't necessarily mean talking out loud. I'm not saying that either. And I think we get that, can't we? We can talk uh, in our heads as well. But it is talking. It is verbal communication. And it's talking to God. It's not talking to yourself. And again, there's a sort of idea that uh, prayer is sort of just crystallising your own thoughts and desires in your mind. So that prayer isn't a journey outside to God. It's a journey inward into ourselves. So a lot of uh, the sort of new agey stuff that you read these days. We'll talk about prayer, but what they mean is a sort of journey inside yourself and your own desires and your own ideas. But prayer is definitely outward. It's not talking to the universe. I don't know if you've come across this idea. People call it cosmic ordering. Uh, you know, you ask the universe for things. It's been promoted by Noel Edmonds. It does make you wonder what Noel Edmonds has been asking for. Uh, is it? <laughs> but... Uh, it's, it's this sort of weird idea of just sort of asking, but not really knowing what you're asking. So prayer isn't just asking the universe. It's not just positive thinking. Actually, it's speaking to God. And so even with this really basic definition, we can rule out a lot of things that get mixed up with prayer. I think there's quite a lot of confusion about prayer. It rules out prayer as listening. Rules out prayer as listening. Sometimes you meet this idea that prayer is a conversation. 
And it kind of is. We're going to come to that uh, later on. But whether God speaks in our heads or not, completely aside, God speaking isn't prayer. Okay? Us speaking is prayer. That's indeed the simplest definition of what we got, isn't it? God speaking is, uh, sorry, us speaking to God is prayer. But we're getting this idea coming into evangelical circles that actually prayer is listening to God as well as speaking to God. And uh, so you might want to debate whether that's a good thing or not to do, but certainly by the Bible's definition, that's not prayer. You also get the idea that's coming into our circles as well that prayer is silence. You know, praying without words, just being open uh, to God. Uh, to give it its due, when I read people who sort of propose this position, they would say they picture an idea of a couple in love, you know, having a meal together. And, you know, they don't necessarily need to spend the whole time talking. They can just be in silence with one another and that's okay. Now, I'm not saying silent contemplation of God is wrong. And perhaps we should do more of that as we uh, think about God. But it isn't prayer. Prayer requires words. Prayer requires communication. It also rules out some more things that we probably won't uh, fall into, but things like prayer wheels. The idea of sort of spinning a wheel is prayer, but it isn't, is there? Because there's no communication going on. But it does mean that things like writing could be a prayer. That's communicative. We talked about that in the series on the Psalms. It could be reading. A prayer is a prayer. If you're understanding the words, if you are meaning the words that you're saying. But speaking words in Latin, for example, if you don't speak Latin, isn't praying. Because you don't actually understand what you're praying. Even if God understands what you're praying, you don't know what's going on. It's not real communication, is it? So prayer involves real communication. So if you want a really simple diagram, I've got a few diagrams uh, this evening. Person prays to God. That's, that's basically what we're saying. God is, a uh, person speaks to God. And that's the most simple model of prayer. But it does get a little bit more complicated. This is the really radical part of this evening. So if you've been drifting off with the, the warmth, uh, just wake up for a minute. Prayer is talking in response to God. Prayer is talking in response to God. So what I'm saying there is that prayer actually is a conversation, but not in the way that we uh, sit and listen to God and think that that is praying. Let me read you uh, uh, some words from Tim Keller. Uh, Prayer is a continuing conversation with God that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. I'll read that again. Prayer is a continuing, sorry, continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. So what he's saying that actually is that God has spoken first. Now, I think when we think about prayer as a Christian, we think of it a bit like this. So, you know, we uh, pray to God. God listens to us. God answers and works towards his purpose. Okay, I think that's how we sort of think about Prayer, you know, it starts with us, we go to God, God works out his purposes. But the shape of scripture tells a different story. Actually, we are never the first mover in the Bible. God is always the first mover. He moves by revealing his will to us. So it's not that we kind of have to guess what to pray for. God's actually spoken to us and told us what to pray for. He's shown us in scripture. Did you notice that in Daniel as we were going through? What is it that prompts Daniel to pray? 
Well, actually, he's been reading the book of Jeremiah. He notices that God has said that he will bring the exile to an end after 70 years. And so that's what he prays for. He prays that God would take his wrath away from Jerusalem. He confesses his people's sin. So he prays because he's first been spoken to in the word. That strikes us a little bit strange, doesn't it? Because we normally think that actually we're speaking to God first. But actually it's the other way around. So what we really see is this. God reveals his will to us. Then we pray and God answers. But God uses our prayers to meet his own purposes. So God moves first and we pray in line with what his will is for what he wants. So if you think about going back to Daniel, why does God end the exile back in Daniel after 70 years? Well, is it his word to Jeremiah? Yes, it is. He's told Jeremiah he will end it after 70 years. But he doesn't tell you the means of how he's going to do it. Could it be that Daniel's prayers are actually the means of the end of the exile? Do you follow that? So God uses Daniel's prayer as a means to end in the exile. He answers Daniel's prayer and ends it after 70 years. See, the fact that God has said something doesn't make praying for it pointless. Because you can think about it. Well, Daniel could read it, couldn't he, and go, well, Jeremiah, he said to Jeremiah that he's going to end it in 70 years, so I may as well just sit here and wait. But actually, Daniel's response to hearing God's word is to actually pray for it. Because Daniel understands that actually God is much bigger uh, than we think he is. See, we tend to think of it, don't we, that uh, our answers to prayer are, are within God's sovereignty. So you might want to think about it this way. We have God's sovereignty. And we think of the answer being in the sphere of God's sovereignty. So we understand when we pray, God is sovereign. He will do as he wills. He will work towards his purposes. But what we need to understand with prayer as well is that our prayers are within God's sovereignty as well. So God actually gets Daniel to pray for what he wants. He's sovereignly in control of Daniel's prayer as a means to ending the exile, as well as ending the exile. Looking at slightly confused faces, so if you have questions, do write them on blue slips uh, afterwards. What I'm saying here is that actually it's, it's not just as simple as that we, we pray and God answers. Actually, God speaks to us first and changes us and moves in us to make us want what he wants and pray for what he wants. And then he answers our prayers and gets a, a double glory, if you like. So again, this should give us reason to pray. If God's uh, purposes um, are there in the Bible, then why not pray for them? And they're much broader than the end of the exile, aren't they? And actually, God's purposes cover the whole of life, don't they? So there's nothing outside their scope. No matter what happens, no matter how uh, we're feeling, no matter what's happening in our lives, there are things that we can pray for within God's purposes. So think about it, for example, if you've got an auntie who's hurt her leg. With the first model of prayer, I'll go back to it, you might want to start with, well, right, there we go. You might want to say, well, my auntie's hurt her leg. Right, I'll pray to God that her leg would get better. We pray, God answers, maybe he'll work towards his purposes, maybe he won't. 
But actually, it's better to start with what God has already said. So are there ways, you know, is your auntie a Christian? Is she serving at church? Should you think about that first and think, well, actually, that fits within God's purposes. I could pray that she could get better to help out with things at church. It doesn't change what you're praying for, but it changes why you're praying. It's changing uh, the manner in which you're praying. So we really need to get to grips with what God is doing if we really want to pray effectively. The first, you see, is just a conversation. Uh, sorry, is a, um, the second is a conversation that God has started. He's told us what he wants. He's told us what's important. The first is just coming to God off our own bat and we're deciding what's important. And then how is that prayer different from cosmic ordering? You know, the person who just prays to the universe for his auntie's leg. Could you change the God in the prayer and it still be a totally valid prayer? Could you pray to Vishnu and it would still make sense? It's something we should have in our minds, even if it's just a quick, you know, Lord, save me prayer. I think those prayers are OK, actually, because the Bible's revealed that God is a saviour. So it's right to come to him to save us. But if we had a different God, then perhaps we wouldn't come to him with those requests. But it should make us think, well, what are we coming to God with in line with his character? So the way uh, God himself should shape our prayers, we'll see more of that in future weeks. But a full-blown Christian prayer is a response to what God has already said, a continued conversation with God. So that's what prayer is. But how does prayer work? Well, you'll see on the back of your notice sheets, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. This is from Ephesians, the hymn is Christ. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. I want to just tease out some of these things uh, that's mentioned here. It's the idea uh, of everybody having access to God, uh, everyone in the church having access to God uh, through one spirit to the Father. There's a few things that we can learn about prayer that's picked up there. It's picked up in other parts of scripture, but they're much longer to read. Um, But Ephesians 2.18 shows us firstly that we pray to the Father. He's the one that we want access to. We pray to the Father. There go. That means there's a directionality to our prayers. All but two prayers in the New Testament are directed to God the Father. And the Bible talks about access to God, meaning God the Father, as it does uh, here. The idea is that we're brought into his presence. That was the principle that we're taught uh, in the tabernacle and temple, wasn't it? That you would draw near to God. Well, how do we get into the presence of the Father? Well, again and again, the Bible tells us that we're sinful and unclean. We cannot approach the throne. We're unworthy to approach the throne. If we came before God in ourselves, then we would be consumed. So what is taught again and again is that actually we need a mediator. Uh, We'll come to that in a few minutes time. But if we're to come to God the Father, if that's the goal... Then is that unfair to other members of the Trinity? I suppose I'm thinking about this a bit because we had a, a big long discussion in our uh, life group. I want to say no. It's not unfair to the Trinity, uh, the members of the Trinity, persons of the Trinity. Because as we pray to the one, we pray to all. We pray to the three. We're not tritheists. So when we pray to the Father, we're praying to all three. We're not praying to one God who's sort of competing with two others. Actually, as we honour the Father, we honour all of God, the whole Trinity. 
Jesus himself prayed to the Father again and again. And in one sense, he didn't have to, did he? Think about it. He is God. But it brings honour to the Father and he leaves us a model of what we should do. So it honours Christ as we follow him and honour the Father. Is it wrong to pray to the other persons of the Trinity? No, but it certainly shouldn't be the norm. The norm in scripture is that we pray to the Father. The second thing that we see, though, is that it's through the mediation of the Son. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is both fully God and fully man. We've seen in Hebrews, haven't we, this year, that he is our great high priest. And he is able to bring us into God's presence. That was the aim, wasn't it, of standing before God the Father. Crucially, though, it's not just that he can bring us into God's presence. It's that he has brought us into God's presence. So have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. It's on the back of your notice sheet. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Actually, in Christ, we're already there at God's right hand. We're already in the throne room. Now that's important because it means that we don't need incantations or clever ceremonies to put us there. It means that we don't need a certain kind of emotional experience or certain kinds of music or worship leader to put us there. We actually don't need prayer, per se, to put us in the presence of God. In fact, the only reason that we can pray effectively is that we're already there. Christ has placed us there. And we're not there as strangers or mere creatures. Actually, Christ has placed us in the throne room And he's also made us sons. So have a look at Galatians 3, uh, 26 and 27. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. Or then uh, in Galatians 4, uh, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what he's saying there is that not only are we in the throne room, we are sons. And our sonship is based on us being in Christ, the son. You see, it's not really our natural right to call God Father. Although we were created by him, he's not really our Father until we come to him through Christ. It's a right that was won by Jesus as he died on the cross. A right that's applied to people by the Spirit of the Son, who cries out, Abba, Father. You see, the Spirit supernaturally unites us to Christ and puts us in him. So as he is the Son... We become sons of God as well. So our whole ability to be heard as children, the whole reason we can say father to God is that we're in Christ. It's only because of Jesus that we can pray. If we're not in Jesus, we're not in the throne room, we're not sons, we're not heard. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on. Does that mean that God doesn't hear the prayer of unbelievers? Believe it or not, that was my big issue before I became a Christian. Um, Somebody at my youth group said, well, God doesn't hear the prayer of unbelievers. And I found that really hard uh, to believe. Well, I can do no better than quote John Calvin uh, about God answering the prayers of unbelievers. This is what he wrote in his institutes. It is by this circumstance, answering uh, prayers of unbelievers, to emphasise or illumine his mercy whenever the prayers of unbelievers are not denied to them. And again, to incite his true worshippers to pray the more when they see that even ungodly wailings sometimes do some good. So what he's saying there is actually God shows his mercy by answering the prayers of unbelievers, even though they shouldn't really be answered. They're not in the throne room. They're not sons. And also it reminds us, well, if they get their prayers answered, how much more should we be praying? How much more are godly wailings, if you like? So some implications from the fact that we pray through the mediation of the son. It means that praying in his name is more than just a tag on. It's actually to do with our relationship with him. That means we don't need to include those words in Jesus' name. I do, force of habit. That's how I've learned how to pray. You catch it off other people. But it's not wrong to not say that because actually what that's referring to is the relationship that we're in. We actually need to take on that sentiment as we pray. When we pray in Jesus' name, it means that we don't stand before our God with our own righteousness, as Steve was mentioning earlier. We stand with the righteousness of Christ. We stand with the righteousness of a son of God. So we don't stand before God as a stranger, but as a son. And that's got to make our prayers different from just uh, praying, you know, this is what I think, here we go, God, like uh, anybody else. It also means that praying in his name is not supernatural name dropping. So I've come across this in a book this week. I won't say who it is. Because I respect a lot of the other things that he says, but I'll read it to you. It says, I remember how as a student in graduate school, I anxiously approached a well-known speaker after a lecture. He seemed distracted as he greeted other students with perfunctory pleasantries. I, however, was able to mention that I knew a friend of his. And when I said that name, he immediately snapped to attention and spoke to me with great warmth and interest. Might not exactly be what he's saying, but it does sound, doesn't it, as though it's sort of spiritual name dropping. If we drop Jesus' name in there, then, you know, God will listen. But otherwise, uh, he won't. That would be especially strange for us, isn't it, to say it right at the end. (laughs) Oh, by the way, in Jesus' name. What? What was the whole prayer you just prayed? But it's actually to do with our relationship that already exists because of his son. He already knows us. We don't need to drop his son's name in. We are already in his presence. We are already his children. So because of Christ's mediation, we can pray. But it's not just the Father and the Son that are involved as we pray. It's also, we pray in the enabling power of the Spirit. The enabling power of the Spirit. Now again, I'd like to... uh, This is one of the things I really wanted to think about this week. Because I keep reading different things in different books. And you'll find different authors who say different things. But I want to say this evening that when we talk about praying in the Spirit, when we talk about uh, praying, uh, being enabled by the power of the Spirit, we're not saying that the Spirit translates our prayers. We're not saying the Spirit translates our prayers. I think I might have thought a version of this until this week and started to think it through. 
And I'd have been in good company. There are lots of other people who would say uh, the same. This is Tim Keller. Uh, He says, The Spirit, however, makes our groaning his groaning, putting his prayers to the Father inside our prayers. I can sort of agree with that, but he explains what he means later. He says, In every request then, every specific request, the Father hears us praying for what is both truly best for us and pleasing to him. And it's this idea of the Spirit sort of works within us and, and prays the prayers that we should have prayed. And I think I sort of thought a version of this this week. It's picking up on Romans 8, uh, which again you'll find on the back of your notice sheet, Romans eight twenty six and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought, uh, do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you can certainly see where the idea comes from. But I don't think that it means the Spirit prays instead of us. So that God hears the Spirit but doesn't hear us, or hears a translated (coughs) version of us. The Spirit is praying for us. But actually, God still hears our prayers. Because otherwise, I think we might end up with a sort of strange situation. I'm going to show you a clip from a 90s sitcom called Sybil. And uh, Caroline and I were watching it a couple of weeks ago, and it it just sort of struck a chord. All you need to understand is that the character is annoyed that the Japanese seem to oppress women. Now, that's all you need to understand. But look what happens with the translation. あ、いや。あ、ないよ、ワンデーは<笑> Do you see my point? That actually, if if we have that sort of situation where the Spirit is translating for us, God never actually hears us pray. Actually, that's not really a personal relationship, is it? If he never actually hears us speak. God loves to listen to us pray. It's not that God is just listening to the sound of his own voice uh, as the Spirit speaks to him. So I can't imagine that we'll get to glory and God has never heard us speak or has never actually listened to what we've said. That doesn't strike me as a personal relationship. What the Spirit does is change us so that we ask for the right things, so that we pray in line with God's will. Do we do that perfectly? Well, no. And the Spirit is there to help us and plead for us alongside us, that God still hears us. And that means that God can still say no to our prayers. We can still actually pray to God in a foolish way, and God can rebuke us for that. And it puts us back, it puts the onus back on us, doesn't it, to think about what we're praying for. Because it's not like we've got a stupid filter, you know, sort of filtering out all the stupid bits. Because it's not that God isn't understanding what we're saying. Actually, he is understanding what we're saying, but he's answering in line with his will. 
Because think for a second, if he was just hearing what he wanted to hear, could you imagine the frustration from our perspective and from uh, and God's as well? So, you know, I'm praying for this person to be saved. And all that God hears is, bless this person. And we've been praying for it every day, every day, get to glory. And God says, no, I never heard that prayer. Actually, it was translated into something else. Just sounds wrong, doesn't it? So what does it mean to be praying in the enabling power of the Spirit? Well, it means that the Spirit enables us to pray. He gives us the faith to pray for what we are to pray for. Uh, We know that's what the Spirit does, don't we? He strengthens us to pray as we ought. He gives us the knowledge of his will to know what to pray for. As we read the pages of scripture, the scriptures that he himself wrote as he worked through the prophets and apostles. God helps us and empowers us to pray through his spirit. So it means that praying in the spirit and spiritual prayer is prayer according to God's will in the Bible. It's prayer for things that require faith, big things that we're to pray for as the spirit works in our hearts. So what are we to take from this? Well, we'll work out a few of the implications over the coming weeks uh, as we look at uh, what to pray for, how to pray, uh, and different things like that. But when we have the theory in place, it can work itself out in all sorts of different ways, can't it, in different circumstances. And that means the practice from person to person can differ from the same theory. But just a couple of things for us to think about this evening. First of all, let's make sure our prayers are soaked in the word and the purposes of God. We don't want to separate the word and prayer too much, do we? That doesn't mean that we have to quote passages or promises as we pray. But there's no reason why you shouldn't. And there's certainly no reason why you shouldn't go to the Bible before you start to pray. Certainly reading and praying should go together more as they do with Daniel. You know, he's reading Jeremiah and it prompts him to pray. And let's make sure that we're not depending on our own righteousness to pray. So I think we've all fallen into this trap at points, haven't we? You know, if you think you're having a good day, and you know, oh, well, I've not done anything wrong today. Well, God will hear me a bit more if I pray for something. Or, oh, I can't go to pray to God now because actually I've just done something wrong. Sin does affect our relationship to God, but our own righteousness is never the reason why we're heard. So we can go to God even in our lowest times. That's especially when we need to go to God, isn't it? And hopefully then, as we let these things affect our prayers the other people who catch our prayers will help will catch things that will be helpful in their walk too not thinking that they have to fake it but actually understanding how uh, prayer works the practical as well as the theory so let's pray that god would grow us all uh, in this area let's uh, pray